Hi, thanks for listening to the Good Trash Genre Cast. The Good Trash Genre Cast is brought to you in part by SadMenForLonelyWomen.com. SadMenForLonelyWomen.com for all of your satire, pop culture news, and comedy needs. The Good Trash Genre Cast is also brought to you in part by listeners like you. For more information, go to patreon.com forward slash gtgc. That's patreon.com forward slash gtgc. And welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we discuss film studies type theory around films that'll never find their way into a film studies class. This week's film is a documentary about talk radio hosts called In the Math Mouth of Madness. The Math of Madness turns out to be about the Pythagorean Theorem, but we're not going to talk about that either. Uh, we're very excited to be discussing this film as a John Carpenter joint, and uh, we're going to identify now the disembodied voices surrounding the table, across the table directly, looking into my eyeballs, if you would, sir. My name is Dalton Stewart, and this is reality. Very well done, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, to my le- right, ma'am, if you would. My name is Alexander Bohannon, and... I'm sorry about the balls. It was a lucky shot. That's all. <laughs> very, very, very well done. Uh, sir, if you would, to my right. Hello, my name is Caleb Masters. And Dustin, I told you, never, ever, ever throw trip chips at the driver. Never. It's a bad, bad plan. Uh, my name is Dustin Sells, and I just want to know, do you read Sutter Kane? And uh, we're going to be talking about this film. Now, we want to warn you, dear listener, this is an analysis show, not a review show. And that means there will be spoilers. However, we will avoid them the first part of the show. We'll give our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, which is going to be immediately after a quick synopsis from The Voice of the Cinema. And then from that point forward, we'll get down to business. And once that happens with that kicky music that notifies you that we are at the analysis portion, it will be spoilers. Ahoy, you have been warned. So, with any, without any further ado, Mr. Arthur Gordon, voice the cinema. Let's hear that synopsis now. An insurance investigator begins discovering that the impact a horror writer's books have on his fans is more than inspirational. 
more than inspirational. It's not a fucking self-help book. I mean, it just yeah, makes it sound like it's like Deepak Chopra or something like that. Oh, you mean all uh, DP Chopes? Yeah. yeah. DP Chopes. Yeah. Him and the Jeeves, they hang out, yeah, right? That's right. <laughs> Chopes and, she- uh, and Jeeves. I'll watch that show. Yeah. Oh, Jeeves and Chopes. Holy shit. Give it to me now. That'd be great. All right. Well, let's talk about the film. Let's give those thumbs up, thumbs down reviews very quickly. Uh, Caleb Masters, if you would, sir. Yeah, In the Mouth of Madness is a really decent kind of sci-fi Tales from the Crypt sort of throwback movie. I really dig it. It's definitely a B-movie, uh, and it doesn't always make sense, but it proposes enough interesting ideas and enough fun material with a few, you know, kind of eerie scares kind of sprinkled throughout to make it a worthwhile experience. Um, you know, it's funny. It, it, we, we, we've talked about Scream. I talked about Scream with you guys earlier this month. And we talked about how ahead of time that movie was, and I, I totally didn't know this movie existed, and uh, it was in 1994, and it takes it way further down the meadow rabbit hole than, than Scream did. So I think it's kind of ahead of its time, although it hasn't remained as uh, relevant in pop culture. Uh, you know, I, I think there's a, definitely kind of a, a gem that's ahead of its time. But, uh, you know, it's, it, yeah, it's decent. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Miss Alexander Bohanna, what do you say? Thumbs up, thumbs down. It's fine. I mean, it's not really it's not really my thing. I have to say that one issue I have with this film is and maybe this is part of its charm, but for me it didn't work was the overtly campiness of all the performances of just about everybody. I feel like every time we looked around there was someone else mugging like for the camera and and it would have been nice to have some like acting that would have been cool. But um it just I don't know. I really didn't appreciate those type performances but you're right it's a b-movie that's what b-movies do fairy tales from the crypt and i mean it's there it's not it's not my favorite thing i've ever seen there you go thank you very much mr dalton stewart what do you say i really liked this uh it was fun i think it did a really good job of of, you're right kale but doesn't make sense a lot of the time and i think that's part of the point uh to kind of really give it that lovecraftian feel i mean because this is clearly a love letter to hp lovecraft um I, i love Never mind. <clears throat> I was going to make a pun about love letters and Lovecraft. But y- you love the Lovecraft? Yeah, I, I, I don't have anything. Uh, and clearly, I mean, that's what John Carpenter is channeling in this film. I mean, there are some problems. I, I like the performances, but yeah, Alex, I agree. They are kind of hammy. Um, I do not care for the score at all. Oh, it's bad. That score I is bad. I think the score is really fun. What? I like the music. <laughs> it was like the most generic. John Carpenter's produced like the score is way better than okay, this. Okay. Is the most generic the, rock piece here. Like I really liked the intro and that outro. Sounds music. like it might be uh, Inter Sandman and then isn't. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, yes, exactly. Exactly. Like it's Metallica. I thought it was great. Hated it. Um, also, really, this man made the thing. The creature effects in this movie are not good. I'm going to be straight out about it. I mean, I like a lot about this movie. The creature effects are not something I care for in it. I don't, they are flat out bad, in fact. Um, I'll save some... We'll go ahead and... You know what? You're probably not going to watch this movie if you haven't already seen it, because it's not easy to find. Um, the great old ones come up at the end of the, uh, of the film, and they should have just not shown us what they looked like. They they would have been better. Fair. Yeah, I completely agree. They were way more terrifying in my imagination than when they showed up. Yeah, absolutely. They they didn't really have the technology. The the puppetry just was okay at best. But yeah, they're much more terrifying when you have no idea what they look like, as opposed to some half-assed uh, latex uh, puppets. Overall, though, yeah, I really like this movie. I think it 
the whole movie, I, I was just like, is this going to go where I think it's going to go? And it did. I was really surprised. I mean, the ending of this movie is so bleak in a way that I kind of adore. Um, I went for it. I totally did. All righty. Well, there you go. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. All righty. What I'd like to say uh, in terms of analysis, again, I want to say that this is a pick from Brigham Cole. So, Brigham, this is all your fault. <laughs> yeah, when, we, when we've got a five-week month, we like to uh, do a listener pick. And, uh, you know, the movie's fine. I guess, I mean, again, I have a very tepid sort of feeling towards it. It's it's all right. Really? Because when you texted me, I'm pretty sure your exact words were, this movie sucks. Yeah, I, I don't like it very much. But, it, I mean, it's it's not terrible. It's just, it's it's a mess. Your texts led me to believe otherwise. I thought you hated it. I don't quite hate it. I'm, I'm a little short of hate. Um, but, uh, you know, you know, the cold sort of just indifference is like the worst kind of hate anyway, isn't it? Oh, and yeah. I, and I am sort of cold Apathy. Yeah, I was like, yeah, you know. And it's, it's a movie, it happened. It didn't make me angry in any way. I do like the theatrical scene at the end. I think that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, and I do, Sam Neill's fine. Uh, the rest of the performances are ugly and uh, whatnot. The score is bad. Uh, editing's not very good. You know, I like the framing narrative fine, but yeah, it's not it's not very shiny as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, there you go. Now you know our biases, which are generally meh uh, towards the film. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, do what we do, though, guys. It's business time. It's business. It's business time. I know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh. It's business. That's right, dear listener, and that business is analysis. I go to you first, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What analysis bring you? Well, this is um, something somebody brought to a, a previous film um, way back when. I want to say it was you, Arthur, but I couldn't quite tell you what movie it was. But this idea of, of fan madness, uh, of uh, a dangerous and poisonous level of fan um, fandom. The scene of people rioting because there aren't enough advanced copies of... Uh, Sutter Kane's newest book, In the Mouth of Madness. Um, the fact that I'm watching this scene in the same week that advanced tickets for Star Wars The Force Awakens went on sale um, really kind of made me think, oh, huh, okay, interesting. Because what we have here is people who are hurting one another um, for a damn book. And they're, they're, they're willing to go to bat. I mean, again, they have been driven mad. Uh, by the, the the madness of the page, but uh, which tells you one thing, listener: don't read, don't ever read. Uh, but it, it is interesting. I mean, in the real world, I, I think about uh, when the Avengers came out, and there were like three negative reviews, and all uh, of the critics that wrote negative reviews about uh, the Avengers got death threats. Like, guys. It's a product of a multi-billion-dollar international corporate conglomeration. Like, <clears throat> calm the fuck down. These movies, Marvel Studios does not need you to go to bat for it. It's going to be okay. It's not 1993. Like, comics are not in the toilet. They've all got money from movies now. It's fine. It's going to be okay. What are you people freaking out about? Uh, and I just... And the same thing's going to happen when Star Wars comes out. There's going to be at least three or four... Even if the movie's... Uh, unabashedly wonderful. There will be people who don't care for it, and that's fine. But there, those people who don't care for it uh, vocally uh, are going to be harassed and threatened. And guys, Disney does not need you to protect it. It had enough money to buy Star Wars from George Lucas. That man's got a big old pile of gold he sits on like Scrooge McDuck. 
<laughs> and the floors at Disney at like Disney headquarters are probably lined with Benjamins. Like the couches are just stuffed with hundred dollar bills. It's not particularly comfortable, but it's a show of wealth. These companies don't need you to stand up for them. And I don't think that's what John Carpenter is getting at in the film, but I couldn't help but but think about these these fans are going absolutely bonkers over this damn book and you know this guy's allegedly selling more copies than Stephen King. It's like he he's a rich man. It's fine. Just read the book. Calm down. Everybody calm down. Uh, and that's something that I couldn't help thinking about is this is this fan outrage, this this culture that we have now in in the modern era where everybody gets to ha- air their thoughts at at will uh, with the internet. Um, and they feel the need to to like defend these multi-billion dollar corporations. And don't get me wrong, like I've got a lot of love uh, for Star Wars and superhero movies at all, uh, all fanny um, things, but I guess at the end of the day, it's just popular culture. Like, Come off of it. Corporations don't need you to defend them. Sending people death threats because they don't like the same things as you is ridiculous. Telling people they're less than you because they don't like the same things you like are ridiculous. Everybody just take a deep breath, Take a step backward and stop saying my other ride's a TARDIS. Wow. Well done. Very well said. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Caleb Masters, what analysis bring you? Yeah, I definitely want to pull some ideas, uh, piggyback off some of those ideas that Dalton just presented, because I think that's exactly what the movie's getting at. I think it's a huge critique of fan culture, uh, fan and pop culture, and our, and our recent obsession with it. And I think it's way ahead of its time, because this is 1994. And things have only gotten even crazier since then. I want to talk more about like the, the kind of philosophical approach, the, the philosophy I think the movie is kind of talking a lot about. And uh, that is uh, this, the idea of a simulacra and simulation, which is kind of a... a Hit it! That's right. Jean Baudrillard, back in the what, ni- late 90s, early 2000s, I think, postmodern philo- French postmodern philosopher... So, to give you guys a quick uh, lesson on what the simulacra and simulation is, that's uh, it's a study of uh, symbols, signs, and how they relate to contemporary society, or in this case, pop culture, and how our society obvious, uh, often simulates a perverted reality instead of the actual reality. And eventually, said perverted reality is going to become the reality, and it's actually a replication of something that's not true. Um, so, basic premise... Like a pumpkin spice latte. Like, exactly, like a pumpkin spice latte. Well, you can see, you can, this is literally, a, a, and especially in the 21st century, we can see this happening everywhere. Movies, books, pop culture, what we drink, everything. Um, there, there are four... And I, I think the fact that we watched this movie this week, and I was thinking about this, is super relevant with mention of Star Wars with the fan culture and the fact that Back to the Future week whatever day was this past week and it's totally i mean this is this is exactly what this movie's talking about uh but uh with the simulacrum simulation there's basically four four stages in which this is this process is created you have stage one reality the real world how things actually are then you have stage two a perverse reality or one that we 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 all agree is not real but we just kind of live with it we're like eh, this is you know it's not real but we kind of just accept it because that's what it is stage three though is when we begin to accept the perverse reality and it starts to act like actual reality so all of a sudden social media is not just that little hobby that you dabble in all of a sudden it's that little platform that you're living on you're actually like creating your own little world your own persona in you know uh, and then there's stage four is in which case you actually lose footing in in real reality and in favor of living in this kind of perverse hyper reality uh, and then at this point, 
hyper reality is then what's reproduced as the actual story or the reality you're living in. And then it become and then reality becomes a copy without an original. So this is a fictional per- a copy of a copy of a copy. A copy of a copy of a copy. Exactly. Now in this movie, John Trent is he begins the movie living in reality. He's an insurance investigator. Uh, he uh, kind of changes a little bit when he's attacked by Sutter's agent, and that's when he he begins to su- suspect something's up. You know, something a little bit's off. Uh, and then that's when you have this kind of perverse reality kind of enter in here. Now he that, he 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 denies it over and over again, saying, "Well, this is just real. These are just books." Yada yada yada. However, as the film progresses and he is exposed to more and more of these unusual circumstances, mm-hmm. he enters into the third stage where he eventually succumbs to the fantasy. And then all of a sudden he is trapped in this little town, which is like a false reality, right? Um, all based off of these books. But he is so just mesmerized by the books, he's now living in this falsified reality, uh, not the real world at all. Um, now, the, he goes into stage four when he confronts when he actually confronts Sutter Kane, and Sutter Kane literally tears a hole in the wall that looks like a page of a book, right? Um, and this is where Sutter says, well, now, now you're part of my story. You're already drinking my Kool-Aid, and I'm going to uh, send you out, and you're going to get this book published. Uh, and at this point, Trent is part of this reality, and he's replicating it because he uh, unwittingly takes the book for publica- publication, uh, and then the movie, the book is published, It's re- the movie is released, and the madness spreads across the world, and mass hysteria is adopted as the reality that the world has accepted. All because of these books that are all you know, originally, in the, in the context of the initial setting, fictional. Now, in the end, the movie has a really dark, kind of twisted ending because Trent is forced to live in the reality that doesn't even really resemble the real world. And that's why he goes to the theater and goes crazy. He's just like, well, screw it, the world's gone to hell. I just might as well accept it for what it is and then laugh, you know, just laugh off the awfulness and stick with it, you know? Well, and those are all the things you're talking about uh, other than really having a, a great conversation about the, the simulation, simula- simulacra and simulation. Um, it also ties back to this 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 conversation with the Cthulhu mythos, with the Lovecraft horror, and I, and I think that, I think that what the movie is trying to lead with those. This is a very harsh criticism of pop culture in the twentieth and twenty first century. It was made in nineteen ninety four. The replication of a fantasy and the skewed reality has become rampant in our society, and we have accepted it via again said social media technology this week. We decided that we're just going to make Back to the Future a real thing. We just decided, oh, we're going to have newspapers that come out. We're going to have this new Pepsi that's going to get launched. We're going to have hoverboards. I mean, it's good fun. And I think this is a in, – in this particular case, it's a very harmless bit of, like, celebration of pop culture, and that's fine. But the fact that, like, it was a fiction. This is based off of a fiction. That's what That was based off of our, our understanding of what the future was going to look like in 1985. And we just decided to kind of retroactively create, like, a, a – a fantasy based on what we thought it was supposed to look like, and we just made it happen, like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It just goes to the power of kind of this like replication without original. That 1985 and Back to the Future, or the 2015 and Back to the Future never existed, yet we made it happen because we can. And uh, we accepted that now we've got uh, self-tying, sh- uh, self-tying shoes. Uh, and I think another, but there are so plenty of more dangerous examples we can look at out there. One of, one of the ones that always comes to my mind is the evolution of the Slender Man, which is yeah. this creation online that literally started as a contest on an online forum somewhere who can create the, the scariest like character 
horror mythology. But here's the thing that's most terrifying about it, right? There are kids. I mean, you guys remember the case from a couple of years ago? The 12 year olds in Wisconsin yeah. who went off, drug her friend in the woods, stabbed her like repeatedly because they were trying to impress the Slender Man. You know what I mean? You're trying, they're dr- trying desperately to create this reality based off this fiction that never even existed. There, ne- there was no real mythology of the Slender Man until he invented it. And now we're just replicating it and creating it in the world of pop culture. And people are trying to recreate the pop culture based off the fantasy. I think, though, I mean, I, mean, I think the movie is a very cautionary tale, uh, basically, um, that we need to be very careful and skeptical about how we read our facts and information, understand where they're coming from, know that, know, know what kind of bias they're laying on, know, make sure we're checking out because something that the movie reminds us over and over again uh, is that reality is what we make it. And if we don't choose the right facts or the right groundings, it's very, it would be very easy and dangerous to create a reality based off of a fiction. Absolutely, absolutely. We are all stuck in the Matrix, man. Fox News does it all the time. Am I right, guys? Hit it. <laughs> all right. Oh. Woo. Woo. Topical. Topical. Woo. All right. Well, what I want to talk about in terms of analysis is I want to invoke uh, the Frankfurt School and uh, critical theory and uh, – uh, particularly, I want to talk about uh, Walter Benjamin. What the fuck does everything you just said mean, old man? Well, uh, I'm so glad you asked. Good, because I imagine some of our listeners are also wondering. Well, so in the 1930s, following World War One, preceding World War II, uh, there was a group of uh, Horkheimer, Adorno, and uh, Walter Benjamin, and among others, who uh, worked together sort of doing this cultural critical analysis. Uh, there's definitely a large influx of Marxism and so- psychoanalysis that is uh, part of what they were doing. And Benjamin is sort of the mystic of the lot. And he wrote an essay called The Work of Art in the Age of Mechanical Reproduction, talking about how uh, we live in the society now in which uh, works of art are mechanically reproduced in mass, this sort of mass cultural product, and uh, that there is a loss of a sense of aura uh, in the original work as once was held when it came to art before mechanical reproduction. So there's only one Mona Lisa, and uh, that is you are in the presence of the artwork in itself sort of carries a magic a mystical force uh, surrounding it, if that makes sense. Uh, Afterward, though, with photography and other mechanical uh, means of reproduction, we can all have very, very realistic, very, very accurate reprints of the Mona Lisa, and it sort of diffuses that aura. Now, uh, what Benjamin was arguing for was like, this is sort of a democratization of art. Now we all possess the art in the same way, and it removes that sense of aura, which can be somewhat harmful because it's about commodification and about this idea of uh, only the rich having access to the particular piece itself. Now, in the age of mass-produced books, in the case of this film, or film itself, which is, again, mass-produced culture, we have a story in which the aura or the magic or the mysticism is fundamentally intrinsic to the mechanically reproduced piece of art itself. That we're talking about a hack writer, uh, you know, something akin to uh, you know a poor man Stephen King, who is uh, churning out lots and lots and lots of these sort of horror novels. And uh, but there's not uh, in Gothic literature. There's always sort of these hidden manuscripts that have these sort of hidden powers. And Lovecraft definitely falls within that sort of tropes of Gothicism. And it's not the original manuscript that is magic. That if you read the words that Sutter Kane wrote, you know, in the blood of children on on a papyrus paper or whatever, then you would be transformed. You know, uh, paper made from you know you know the flesh of 
you know, his dead enemies. I don't know. Necronomicon ex mortis. Something like that, right? Which is, again, Necronomicon ex mortis, right? It is a magic text because yeah. it is, you know. From Lovecraft. Right, from Lovecraft. And it is not itself, though, um, reproduced in any way. What we have here, though, is that the words themselves sort of contain the power. That because the words have the power, not, again, the uh, sort of oral um reified, mysticized, uh, you know, um, text itself doesn't have the power. It's actually the power is just in the words, the thoughts, and the ideas. And so, in a way, this film becomes uh, something about a proletarian revolution, that if there's ideas that are spread out that everyone can get a hold of, they can be changed and transformed, and they can remake and remodel society. Now, it tends to take, uh, in a typically Lovecraftian way, a very conservative position therein, saying that they become monsters and they're scary, um, sort of uh, all of the Dark Knight Rises. Uh, if you have your dictatorship of the proletariat, it's only going to end up in show trials and gulags and you know death by exile and those sorts of things. Uh, so it does um, something different than I think what Benjamin would want to have had happen with the idea, but it definitely is a discussion, uh, instead of the aura being destroyed or obliterated, as Benjamin seems to suggest, he, uh, the novel and the film seem to suggest that the aura is still present, and now aura itself is democratized, which is fascinating and interesting, and uh, if nothing else, an excuse to read some more Walter Benjamin, which would make all of your diets much more healthy, and that's good for you, and it even tastes good. So, there you go uh, with our analysis, dear listener. Um, I, I hope you've had some thoughts to percolate and think about, but we are going to move on and uh, render a verdict at this point, and we're going to render this film to the shelf or to the trash. I ask you first, Mr. Caleb Masters, what do you got to say? Oh, this one's tough. I don't... I, I, I mean, guys, I, I wouldn't shelf it. I can't shelf it. I like it a lot, but there are other movies that do what this totally, movie is doing. Totally fair. It, it, there's so many other movies doing what this is doing and tackling the same things in such a more effective manner. I, so it's a trash, but it's a, it's a good movie. It's worth a watch. It's fun. It's lots of fun. I think this movie is the definition of good trash. Caleb, what do you think we should watch instead of this? Yeah, so instead, I definitely say uh, I've got two, a pair of Christopher Nolan uh, recommendations uh, questioning uh, with questioning reality. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one that's kind of one more in the cerebral realm, of, like this one, would be Inception, uh, just because it's got the whole layer of reality. You don't know what's real, what's real, and how these people kind of create their own heat. Well, Cobb, in this case, creates his own sort of reality. Um, I also think Memento is a great companion piece to that. Uh, one of Nolan's earlier, earlier works dealing with that same idea that the reality you live in is only what you tell yourself. It is much, yeah, spongier than you would lead yourself to believe. Oh, yes, yes. And then, of course, um, in the same breath of those, I have to mention Dark City. Really excellent, underrated masterpiece. And then lastly, uh, Eternal Sunshine, The Spotless Mind. Good picks all. Thank you very much. Mr. Oh, do you, have a, do you have a rating, Caleb? Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to go ahead and give this a rating of six... Cheesy Sam Neill posters out of a possible 11. Excellent. Excellent. Very well done. Miss Alexander Bohanna, what do you say? Shelf or trash? And what is your else or instead? This is trash. I, I like John Carpenter a lot. I like the creature effects. But, I mean, I, you don't need to go out of your way to see this. It is good trash, but it's trash. I mean, not going to pull punches on that one. I'd give it a 7.5 out of 14.5. Chips thrown at the driver. <laughs> um I would recommend instead to go read Lovecraft, because yes, and then um, watch Stranger Than Fiction, because there's a lot of recurring themes in, across both of those. So, Excellent. Good pick. You? I like that. Thank you very much. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say? Shelf or trash? Else or instead? 
Oh, I am going to shelf it because it is such a hard movie to find. It's not streaming anywhere for free. Um, it, it is kind of hard to get your hands on, and I, I think if you own this, you're going to be able to share this movie with other people, and I think that's worthwhile. Again, it's not a, it's not a great movie by any means. I, I want to preface that. I think it's really fun. I think it's really interesting. It's not great. It's definitely not John Carpenter's best film by a long shot. It's not even the best film of this unofficial trilogy, but it's interesting, and for that alone, um, I, I, and it's an unknown movie from a, a very influential filmmaker, and I think that makes it worth um, at least some people owning. That way it can get distributed, much like the works of Sutter Kane. Mm. Um, I want to give this film ten uh, black crayon crosses drawn on the inside wall of a padded cell, out of a possible 17. Um, to pair with it, uh, I think you should watch the best film uh, featuring insurance sales, and that's Double Indemnity. Yes. Uh, the greatest oh, yeah. film ever made featuring insurance. Um, and I think you should watch the first part. So we, we've I've touched on this a couple of times. This is the final part in an unofficial trilogy John Carpenter called the Apocalypse Trilogy that started with The Thing, uh, had the Prince of Darkness in the middle, um, and then this. Uh, the Thing is better than this movie. Let's not kid ourselves here. Uh, it's got better creature effects. It's got better performances. It's got a better story. Uh, it's better pacing. It's an all-around better film. Um, and it's got <clears throat> and it's got Kurt Russell uh, pouring whiskey into a chess computer, which is fucking cool. That is fun. Um, so watch that. Uh, watch Double Indemnity. But also, you know, take the time to check out this underseen gem. Alrighty, there you go. I am going to say trash. It's fine. It's not a bad movie or anything like that, but it's definitely not worthy of purchase, of spending of your hard-earned money uh, to have it on your shelf. What I would say is my else's, uh, I would recommend films of haunted manuscripts that that mess you up, or also just scary uh, encounters of writers and fans, uh, first being Misery, uh, James Caan. Kathy Bates. I don't need to say any more about that. Also, the haunted manuscript of uh, the number twenty-three um, by Topsy Kretz, uh, which is a Jim Carrey film that nobody really liked very much, but I like it quite a bit, and it's fun. It's a Schumacher, it's a Schumacher movie. You, you, know. you know what, Dustin? I'm with you. I don't hate that movie as much as most people. I actually kind of like it. It's fun. Yeah, definitely, definitely fun, and it's a movie I dig in a lot of ways. So there you go, dear listener. Now you have our recommends. Let's talk about how the conversation could keep going via that magical means of social media. I go to you first, Mr. Arthur Gordon. You know anything about that stuff? Uh, yeah, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash good trash genre cast. Uh, one word. We do have some feedback coming in uh, over there uh, in regards to our game from Beyond the Black Rainbow uh, on favorite evil corporations and institutions. Uh, Nathan Warden uh, mentioned Cyberdyne Systems and Initech. I'm not sure what Initech is. I think they're both from Terminator. I think Inatech is like one of the... I think that's what it is in Terminator 3, but I'm not sure. But why do you like Terminator 3, sir? Cyberdyne Systems, good pick. Uh, and he also mentioned the Umbrella Corps is pretty evil, too. Yes. And then Randall Bays chimed in with Waylon Yutani, mm-hmm. uh, which is definitely a fun pick. And then in regards to our favorite or our top three horror directors... Uh, Shane Arrington chimed in, uh, mentioning Cronenberg, Sam Raimi, and Alfred Hitchcock, which are all good, solid picks. So thank you for that, Shane. Uh, that's what we have coming in from Facebook. You could also find us on Google Plus and email us, uh, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, do you know anything else about social media? 
I do, as a matter of fact, Mr. Dustin Sells. You can find the Good Trash Genre Cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. And a uh, little bit of feedback coming in this week. Uh, new favorites and follows. Uh, a lot of love for a little promo shot we sent out of Dustin Sells interviewing the director of Love in the Time of Monsters, Matt Jackson. Um, and the, the, their official uh, Twitter accounts gave us a little love on that. So that was really nice of them. Appreciate that. Um, Caleb Masters uh, helped pimp the show uh, because he's been on. Uh, he's been featured this month for Shocktober, uh, and we're always happy to have him. He did a little pimping of our uh, discussion of the sacrament. Kirsten Thurkelson, friend of the show and uh, occasional guest host, uh, tweeted in, I am dead, all caps, to uh, a picture of our newest co-host, Charlie the Dog. Uh, took a little time on the mic last week to talk about some of his thoughts on uh, the uh, treatment of animals in the sacrament. And uh, Kirsten said, I am dead, all caps, which uh, delighted me beyond measure. Yeah, so that's we've got a lot of uh, new followers this week. Um, I love it. Love it, guys. Appreciate you uh, chiming in. There's, I'm not kidding you, actually. So much feedback this week that I don't even have the time to cover it all. Excellent. That's always good to have. And, of course, don't forget, you can always give comments at iTunes, ratings at iTunes. Also, you can uh, give comments at the Podbean site, at uh, other methods and means of social media. And there is um, there's a mouth of madness going on all over this particular um, podcast right Whoa now, dear listeners. So we're having a lot of fun. Um, but we need to move on, and we need to conclude the show, get closer to the end. And I look at my watch, and I realize it is time to play the game. That's right, dear listener, and this week's game is our favorite fictional authors. That's right, favorite fictional authors, brought to you by In the Mouth of Madness. In the Mouth of Madness. Sutter Kane is definitely not Stephen King. You can tell because we mentioned Stephen King by name, so it's definitely not the same person, okay? So stop asking us. Very, very very well done, uh, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Since you have the mic in hand as you speak, go ahead and give us your picks. Yeah, absolutely. So one of my favorite fictional authors is uh, Jack Torrance from The Shining. Um, just who did you know doesn't do a lot of writing, mostly a lot of uh, clacking more than writing. Uh, you know, it, is it really a book if you write the same thing over and over and over All again? work and no, no play make Jack a dull I boy. I want somebody to just, like, I want a known author to uh, publish a new work. And just like really hype the new work, and then it's just all work, no play, makes Jack a dull boy for seven hundred pages. That made me really happy. J.K. Rowling, like it's really like everybody pumped about this new novel she's putting out, and then it's just that <laughs> delight me beyond measure. Uh, but it's a great film. It's a it's a great film. It and needs a, to only say you're a wizard, Harry, and that's it uh, for seven hundred pages. pages. <laughs> uh, it's a it's a great film and a great performance uh, from uh, Jack Nicholson. I do want to give a little love to a couple of uh, lady authors uh, from the realm of TV. A lot of people forget this. Skylar White wrote was uh, was an author before her and Walter got married. A lot of people forget that. So uh, there you go. Enjoy that. Also, Crazy Eyes, weird uh, sci-fi porno from season three of uh, Orange is the New Black. Love it. Is it Ad- Admiral Rod Cocker? Yeah. Uh, it's Whoa. fun stuff. Arthur's the only other one at this table that watches that show, so thanks, buddy. Um, last but not least, a fictionalized account of an actual author, uh, and that is Jake Gyllenhaal's Robert Graysmith in Zodiac, uh, which is a film we've talked about on this podcast, and I'm not going to talk about it anymore because I'm not supposed to. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, what are your picks? 
My picks. Uh, my first pick is Newt Scamander, the author of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Um, and then also Kenilworthy Wisp, who is the author of Quidditch Through the Ages. Um, those We know more about Newt Scamander because the movie is going to come out about Fantastic Beasts, and we're going to get some really sick backstory there. I'm very, very hyped for that. Um, so that's like half pop culture, too. Um, and then my other favorite fictional author is S. Morgenstern, the, uh, the quote, author author of The Princess Bride, uh, because in the actual literary text of it, um, William Goldstein is the editor who makes the good parts version, because I've, I've read the the novel. It's pretty interesting. He found the Morgenstern. Yeah. So, anyway, that's those are my picks for favorite fictional authors. Very, very well done. Thank you very much, Ms. Alexander Bohan and Mr. Caleb Masters. What are your selections? Yeah, I've got a couple. Uh, earlier, Alex mentioned Stranger Than Fiction, so I think we'd be daft if we did not mention Carrie Eiffel from Stranger Than Fiction, who is kind of a godlike character herself, has a little bit of a god complex going on in that movie as well. Um, and then, of course, be remiss in the week of Future Day, or Back to the Future Day, that which we invented. Uh, George McFly was a sci-fi writer in the first Back to the Future and apparently succeeded, and then we never heard about it again because Marty rewrote the future again. Um, I have to. I'd have to also mention. Give a shout out to R.L. Stein uh, in the Goosebumps movie that just came out, which you can listen to. Me and Arthur do a nice, thorough kind of review in one of the bonus odes um, uh, from a couple weeks ago. Uh, and lastly, I want to give a shout out since Stephen King's been mentioned on here. I talk about uh, Mort Rainey from The Secret Window, starring Johnny Depp. Very nearly uh, a pick that made my list. Yeah, he's close. I mean, and that one was nice because it was a, there was a little twist on it. I really, really appreciated that. Uh, but yeah, Dustin, that'll do it for my picks. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. I'm going to keep it all Stephen King all the time as well. My first selection is going to be James Caan's character from Misery, the film. Um, I just love that Stephen King always seems to write about writers, and uh, so I enjoyed that very much. And speaking of King in terms of novels, I have not seen the film. I know there is a film made, but uh, George Stark, the, uh, the sort of pseudonym who comes to life um, of writer Thad Beaumont in Stephen King's The Dark Half is a lot of fun as well. Let's end this, I think, with what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. That's right, dear Lister, we are all full of fired uppedness and fire, and so we are going to talk all about how we brought the fire to pop culture this week. I ask you first, Mr. Dalton Stewart, are you fired up? Yeah, I am. Uh, two shows I'm actually watching and two shows that are going to be released pretty soon. Um, the shows are going to be released pretty soon. Uh, Netflix's follow-up to Daredevil, that's Jessica Jones, starring the fantastic Kristen Ritter and David Tennant. Um, yeah, I'm really excited for this. The trailer's great. I'm just getting whiplash over here. Like, I can like David Tennant and not like Doctor Who. What? No, no, no. I'm not criticizing you. No, I'm getting whiplash in the fact that sounds amazing. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, the the conceit, Jessica Jones is a character from Marvel Comics who is a private eye who used to be a superhero but uh, is not a superhero anymore because it sucks. So now she's just a private investigator that also happens to be able to, you know, pick up cars and jump over buildings. Um, Really excited. Love Kristen Ritter. Uh, They have been really withholding on promotion for this so far. Um, Daredevil, they were like deluging us with promotion all like for months and months and months. Uh, so the first like full length official trailer has been released and it looks great. 
Amazon uh, has one of a uh, new original series premiering that same day, November twentieth, uh, called "The Man in the High Tower." Yes, yeah, uh, they released the pilot in the first episode. And it was already. fantastic. It was one of those shows that they like. Uh, they made the pilot first and let people vote on if they wanted to see more. So the pilot actually came out last year, I think. Um, and they've just now got the series ready to go. They just released the second episode to kind of keep people excited for the full series, which uh, launches November 20th. It's based on the Philip uh, K. Dick novel about what happened if the Axis powers won World War II. And the, this titular man in the high tower starts distributing uh, works, showing people what the world could have been like. Um, I think in the novel it's uh, newspaper clippings, and this it's uh, films. Um, but it looks really good. Uh, it's got Rufus Sewell and from Dark City, no less, um, and a couple of other actors who I recognize but can't remember off the top of my head. Looks very solid. Shows I'm watching right now, though, uh, season two of Fargo. Uh, just oh. watched the first episode last night. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So ex- oh, yeah. Uh, God, it's such a good cast. Jesse Plemons, Kristen Dunst. Um, or, I'm sorry, Kirsten Dunst. Owl, Owl Man. What's his, I always forget his name. Owl Patrick Man. Wilson. Patrick Wilson. Love him. God, oh, I love Patrick great. Wilson. Ted Danson. Very exciting stuff uh, come there, and I'm also watching uh, the CW's new comedy, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which is one of the funniest things I have ever seen. It is the best new comedy on television. Super dark comedy uh, from a person who's been internet funny for a very long time, um, Rachel Bloom. Uh, she plays the titular crazy ex-girlfriend, Rebecca Bunch, who uh, meets this guy. who She's an unhappy, uh, high-powered attorney in New York and meets this guy that was her boyfriend at summer camp in high school and decides to stop taking her meds and move from New York to West Covina, California. Not to be with him. He just happens to live there. Um, and it's so funny. Uh, the music is great. The joke writing is, I mean, I'm laugh a minute. It's ridiculous how solid the show is. So that's what I'm fired up this week about in pop culture. Lots and lots of television. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Caleb Masters, are you fired up as well? I've got a couple things I'm fired up about. Uh, I'm really glad that Dalton mentioned Fargo because I just want to say, go go watch that show. I was fired up about a couple weeks ago. Um, also... Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm super excited. So I just, funny. I mean, I want to sell that show because uh, I, it, it, I think it lost a lot of uh, thunder at the award season when it came because it came out at the same time as True Detective season one. Mm-hmm. Uh, similar premises, a little bit, uh, but uh, very different shows. Anyway, uh, moving on from that though, I want to mention another show that came on about three weeks ago that I'm really, um, I, I don't think it gets enough love out there, and that's The Leftovers, uh, HBO's original. Um, Dude, yes, I'm so glad you brought that up, Caleb. It, it, well, it's it's good. I mean, the first, it's a heavy show. It's not for everyone. It's the most the season one especially was like literally the most existentially nihilistic, um, like depressing ex- exploration yeah, of why do I exist. No. No, it's not fun to watch. But man, it is, it's moving though. It's regularly. It's very moving. And, well, and Damon Lindelof has talked about how he's really depressed when he wrote the first season. Yeah. Um, the second season has been a lot more lighthearted. Wait, so way far. more. Like there's a lot more optimism. The third episode is the only episode, the third season of episode two, which la- aired last Sunday, is the only episode so far that's anywhere close to as bleak as season yeah. one. But, Caleb, I'm, I forgot that you watched that show, too. I've been meaning yeah, to talk about it. it's really excellent. And Damon Lindelof gets lots of crap from Lost, but even if you don't like some of the 
some of the more wacky things about Lost. This this is more focused on the character yeah. uh, development that a lot of people. It's fell clear in love very with. early on. It's like it, the mystery of the show is not important. This yeah. is about character. Yeah, they have no interest in exploring what happened to those people, and that's okay. It, it's not. It's it's great. But um, lastly, a uh, little game coming out this week. So many people might have heard of it. Um, it's called Halo Five. You know, it's it's more Halo. What can I say? I'm a sucker. I'll keep buying. This is the first time I've actually owned an Xbox console when a Halo games came out. So. That's fun stuff. Um, but yeah, it's good. I've got like a little group of, uh, of uh, friends online I, I game with who live in like like live in like six different states now. So I'm really excited to play with all those guys. But um, yeah, I'm really kind of fired about kind of like that social gaming experience I have with some friends I haven't been with in a while. So that's, that's really cool. And if you're a fan of Chief, um, the story looks like it's taking on, he's done being like a pretty tool like soldier he's more like there's a little more oral ambiguity in the struggle there but uh yeah and uh, that's that's uh, that's about all i got this week guys thank you very much mr caleb masters miss alexander bohannon are you fired up as well they are they're releasing um a tiny mini series about gilmore girls um post the show ending i don't think you mentioned that yeah i just heard about this. yeah so this is on this is netflix I don't know who first kind of leaked this information. Everyone was like, oh, this is a rumor. This can't happen. And now it, it actually is happening. So it's going to be four 90-minute episodes, and it's going to be insanely amazing. And um, we're, the internet is fired up as fuck about it because they should be because Gilmore Girls is, is great. Is it good? I've never watched it. It's it looks good. good. It's amazing. It's, it's good. It's okay. a great show. I like, love the Gilmore Girls. And then the other thing I'm fired up about in kind of unfired, well, negatively fired, hope, hopefully this will be resolved, but um, J.K. Rowling's um, latest foray into the Harry Potter universe, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, her two-part stage play, um, they just dropped the plot on what that's going to be about, and it's going to be following um, Harry's Harry's child, Albus Everest, and the fact he's living in his father's shadow and all this shit. And, I mean, I'm fine with that. I was really hoping it would be Lupin's child because he's an orphan and going to deal with, like, dad's a werewolf. And maybe he has cool superpowers because werewolf plus uh, metamorphology, his mom, and Tonks, and uh, anything. It could have been a lot better. But it could be way better because it could be just released as we don't know so far how it's going to be disseminated if it's only going to be you can see this play here or get tickets to it eventually somewhere else if they're going to do any live streaming of it one would hope they better fucking do it like probably sell the script yeah like something has to be done because too much money to be made it's gonna make its it's, rounds or or it breaks my little fan heart to know that i wouldn't be able to like enjoy I would be on an unequal playing ground with other Harry Potter fiends. I mean, tickets are on sale now. We can start saving for that UK trip right now. I can't do that one. I can travel, but maybe that's a bridge too far. So anyway, those are the couple things I'm fired up this week about. Thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohannon. Now, I am fired up about a couple things that are going on right now with regard to the show. Um, Back to the Movies is dropping already, and uh, Arthur and uh, Caleb are working very, very hard to use those press passes and drop those episodes, so I recommend you check that out as quickly as you possibly can. Arthur and I are also doing work on the cast who knew too much, which is going to be dedicated to the films of Alfred Hitchcock. And finally, Alex and I are working on the film syllabus. Sort of a retread rebrand of the good trash du cinema. And we're going to go through the syllabus and why those films are important. We're looking at Breathless probably for the first episode. Stay tuned and keep watching out for that because it's fun. Now, those are the good things that I'm fired up about. I'm also 
angry. And I need to bring a little fire in this regard. I was opportune to see Beasts of No Nation with one Dalton Stewart. And uh, it was it was a good time, homie. Hey, man, yeah, it was real fun. We did that last week. Except for that movie I mean, was not a good time. It wasn't fun, the movie. Did you guys cry at least twice? If you didn't, you're not human, okay? I mean, I'm just... I couldn't cry, and I wanted to. It was, I was rough. Just, I had a lot of weird stuff happening inside of me because of that movie. I, I was able to man up and get through, but definitely the tears were very, very close. It's like it's like a, it's like a process, right? Like you're you're sad and you're angry at the same time. There's a lot of anger. That's me and yeah, angry. me and Dustin just kind of sat there and like for a while after the movie. Yeah, there was yeah we, we, we sat there in silence. Like I want to say things, but there aren't actually words for what is to be said. Now I want to talk about. Uh, cinematic snobbery amongst the academes uh, because I have a dear friend and uh, I'm giving you a shout out brother uh, this is Clayton Dillard who's a friend of mine who's a, another student PhD student uh, PhD candidate at Oklahoma State University and Clayton wrote this regarding Beasts of No Nation I'm looking forward to your feedback Dalton. All right. Beasts of No Nation is a logical conclusion for a Nolan Zimmer generation desires intensity at all costs. Every single frame is sadistic exercise, perversely danging nascent graphic post-colonial conflicts over the heads of impressionable viewers like the bloody debate that it is. If you bite, you lose, because endorsing Fukunaga's non-vision is akin to committing a cinematic war crime, as it further condones the deadening of African cinema and experienced by literally bashing its brains in. There is no space for breathing, felt life here. Even the early humor of farts around the dinner table is merely reverse-engineered moments of levity to make the carnage feel all the more brutal. How could anyone, with even a shred of aesthetic sensitivity, be fooled by such a calculated flex of socioeconomic privilege? All of this would be hilarious if Fukunaga were being publicly shamed over and over again, but the majority of viewers are comprehensively fooled by it. Do me a favor, pick up the book Killer Images, Documentary Film, Memory, and the Performance of Violence. Read it and then hurl it at Fukunaga next time you see him. What was this guy's name again? Clayton. Clayton, what the fuck is your problem, man? I don't... I'm, Dude, calm down, first of all. No one should ever equate a film to a war crime. And second of all, you sound like a very smart guy. He and is. I get what you're he's, saying. He's brilliant. I, I would agree. There is an oversaturation of... Uh, your, your comment about the, the Nolan Zimmer, uh, you know... Uh, generation of filmgoers. I, I get what you're saying there. I do. First of all, Beast of No Nation is based on a novel by an African national from Nigeria about not his personal experiences as a uh, child soldier, because I don't believe he was, but uh, the experiences of people he knew and things that he saw growing up in Nigeria. So first, your, your assertion that it is uh, the West making money off of real tragedy, I think is the gist of what you're getting at. Um, I don't think you're 100% right there, man, just because of the source material, for one. Second of all, this was a passion project for Fukunaga. I mean, the dude didn't make this movie for very much money, uh, and Netflix didn't buy it for that much money. So I don't... I mean, yes, at the end of the day, all major film releases are a commercial thing, but... What's your I, response to that, Dustin? I feel I feel an, I feel similar uh, about that. What I would say is, no, the film is not a Nigerian film. Correct. Nigerian cinema is a wonderful thing. It's growing and beautiful. And don't be mad at this film for not being that, even though it's set I there. Mean, I get what you're. I I do get the. But, but this is something that just. This is not the right movie to be mad at for that. I mean, there are plenty of American films that yeah overshadow uh, the national cinema of a country that they happen to be set in. Plenty. There are lots. Sure. This is a tiny independent 
production, and I don't think it's the movie for you to be mad about. But isn't that isn't that always the goal of any independent of any independent film? I mean, it, it's like it's almost like. And again, I don't want to say he's he's not totally in the wrong, but I mean, who's gonna okay? If 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 a, if a major force in Hollywood does not make this movie, Kerry Fukunaga, who won an Emmy, that this is what he this is what he used his clout on, right? If he doesn't if he doesn't use his influence to make this movie, what are the chances of a Nigerian filmmaker making this movie, pitching it to Netflix, and it getting seen by millions of people to be more aware of the issues at hand? And his concerns about the unrelenting bleakness. Of oh, it's film. sadistic. I mean, sadistic is yeah. fair. I mean, it's I, definitely I would cruel say that's, to the yeah. audience. I would say that is one hundred percent fair and necessary. But, and necessary. Why is that a bad thing? I mean, there are plenty of films that uh, I feel like are torturous f- for their own sake and without any larger goal. But I mean, that's like saying that that Stephen Queen can't make a movie about American slavery because he's a uh, a black British national mm-hmm. like that that to me because that is an unrelentingly punishing movie and to me that seems to be the the same assertion with with that thread of logic well because Kerry Fukunaga is a Japanese American he can't make uh, a film about uh, child soldiers in, in West Africa the film to be angry as machine gun preacher that's the film to be angry. oh yeah starring Gerard Butler yeah yeah, yeah that that that's that's what we're, we're talking about this film is an issues film you know, you can be a French director and you can write a film about immigrants in France and not be one of them and make it schmaltzy and emotional and heartbreaking and all those sort of things. I'm looking at you, Welcome, by um, very uh, – anyway, I'm looking at films like that. You can make that film and not be pandering or uh, not be you know, somehow evil yeah. in, in your approach. I, I don't feel like it's an evil film. I like the movie a lot. And I do too. I, I, I mean it is a – I'm not. Yeah, you're correct. It is a punishing film, and sometimes almost. I, I would say, yeah, it does creep up on the precipice of being too much, uh, like a kind of wallowing in in the sadness of the situation. But again, I think it's necessary. Uh, Dustin, I agree with you, uh, Clayton. But- you and I, are, we're going to talk a little bit more about this. No. I, well, I'll tell you what. I will, I will give you a little love right now, Clayton. Check out his interview with Agnes Varda, um, famous French filmmaker from the French New Wave in Slate magazine. Uh, oh, that's you cool. You can find it on the interwebs. And uh, he's a great guy. He's, a, he's an insightful interviewer. And he, I always respect his thoughts, even though I do not always agree. Well, I don't know him, so I don't respect his thoughts. I'm sure <laughs> if I got to know him, I would find him to be a perfectly pleasant individual. I'm gonna, it's going to take me a while to simmer down. Well, that's why I want to bring a little fire, and I'm glad there's I'm toasty fire in my shorts right now. going on all over this place uh, right now. Now, dear listener, we need to talk about next time. Next time, when you are hearing um, our oral stimulation, that's right, oral stimulation uh, for you all, uh, it's going to be looking at love in the time of monsters. That's right. We're going to close out uh, Shocktober with one final bonus. So this has been something that's been in the works for a while. Dustin interviewed the director of Love in the Time of Monsters earlier this week. Matt Jackson is a very, very lovely human being. We're going to be dropping that. Are we going to drop the interview and our discussion of the film together, together. as one episode? That's what I thought. So we'll be dropping that probably before the next episode proper, which will be Starship Troopers. Yee! In every age, there is a cause worth fighting for. But in the future, the greatest threat to our survival will not be man at all. Hey, Dick, what's going on? It's war! We're going to war! 
Now, the youth of tomorrow must travel across the stars to defend our world. We are a generation commanded by fate to defend humankind. Everyone fights, no one quits. We are going in the worst way. You smash the entire area. You kill anything that has more than two legs. You get me? We get you, sir. But they will face an enemy more devastating than any ever imagined. That's right, dear listener. Take a look at Starship Troopers. Take a look at In the Mouth of Madness. And by all means, and most importantly, have a conversation. Because movies are so much more than 90 minutes of popcorn and distraction and escapism. No, no. The conversation is what keeps it going. And the conversation will keep going on until next time. We've only just begun to live White lace and promises A kiss for luck and we're on our way We've only begun Before the rising sun Smile.